Welcome to the First Century Youth Ministry Podcast. A podcast looking back into the Jewish roots of our faith. For the way forward in youth ministry discipleship. I'm Heather. And I'm Jonathan. And we are your co-hosts. This podcast is part of the Youth Cartel Podcast Network. Hey friends, it's Heather here. Welcome back to the show. We are continuing to have some fun discussions as Jonathan and I are just kind of talking these next few weeks about things that we're kind of passionate about as we love to study the Bible and love to encourage you in the same ways of getting to know Jesus from within his context and uh, give you ways to apply that to your faith and to your life. So Jonathan's got a fun one for us at kind of looking back into uh, the different sects that were prevalent within first century Judaism and um, kind of how they had a hard time, you know, if they were on a baseball team, they would have struggled playing baseball together because again, you know, they didn't line the field correctly, you know, well, he didn't play on the right day, right? Like they, they, there was a lot of always kind of disgruntlement and disagreement amongst the, amongst these sects. And um, it seems as though that is kind of carried over uh, within our day. So Jonathan wants to offer some encouragement uh, for us as followers of Yeshua to look uh, differently in that arena. Yeah, so I mean, this this touches on uh, a word that people have probably heard, um, but maybe it sounds really dry, uh, right? And that's uh, ecumenism, right? Or ecumenical, I think, would be the more common way of, of hearing the word. You know, we think of the ecumenical councils, right, of the of the early church. And again, that's really it's a really dry, academic, churchy word that doesn't mean much, I think, to most people. Um, so I want to kind of frame that. Uh, I'm going to start you know, with what it looked like kind of during the Second Temple era, and then work that into how we have the same problem ongoing today and maybe something mm-hmm. that we can do with that. So in the Second Temple era, most people are aware, just from reading the New Testament, that you have Pharisees, and you have Sadducees, you know, you have these different groups, and we and you know that they didn't get along, right? You just read the Gospels and Acts, and you know, you don't really know all the background, right, just from reading the New Testament, but you can tell they don't get along, and you can see them bickering, Uh, with each other, especially in the book of Acts, where Paul declares, I'm a Pharisee, and they're all like, oh, I I think he's great, and the Sadducees have a problem with him still. And, you know, again, Mm -hmm. that that goes back to the politics. We talked about it a little bit in our series on the intertestamental period. Um, Mm -hmm. But you have these different groups, right? The Pharisees were more popular with uh, the the people of the land, right? Um, The the normal common folk. You'd think, you know, the the middle and, and lower class uh, of society. Of course, you also have to remember that in the ancient world, there really wasn't much of a middle class. Um, either you were the, the 1% or you were poor. That was pretty much what it was. Um, and the, the Sadducees were more of that one percenter, right? They were the mm-hmm. aristocrats. They were wealthy. They yeah. had political influence. Yep. Um, they were the ones that had courted the favor of Rome. They were in good with the the Caesar of Rome, with the, the ruler and the Tetrarchs and the king of Judea. Um, so that's that's the Sadducees. Uh, religiously, they did not believe in the resurrection, an actual bodily resurrection. Right. Right. They did not believe in angelic beings, right? Divine uh, beings, whether that's you know messenger angels or, or any of it. They didn't believe in angels. We would say um, they didn't believe in the resurrection. They didn't accept the rest of the Tanakh or the Old Testament as scripture. They accepted the Torah. And they accepted mm-hmm. kind of the, the word of the prophets, but they didn't accept the writings as being the actual words of God that carried the same weight and authority as the words that God spoke to Moses. 
So there was a disagreement over a number of things theologically between the Sadducees and Pharisees. Um, mm-hmm. Now, there was also a disagreement with a group uh, that were known as the Essenes, and there's still a lot of mystery about them too, but kind of the, yeah. the general opinion is that the Essenes were either influenced by or integrated with or even were the exact same group as um, the ones that basically collected the Dead Sea Scrolls and lived in uh, the area of Qumran, right? So the Dead sure. Sea Scrolls were found in caves at Qumran next to the Dead Sea, hence the name. Um, mm-hmm. And kind of the, the idea is that the sectarian folks that lived over there specifically left Jerusalem because they saw the temple establishment at Jerusalem as corrupt. Sure. Right? They saw that it was corrupt. They had rejected um, the priesthood out of Jerusalem, and they said, look, we're going to go and we're going to live in the wilderness. And they were a very apocalyptic sect. Right, A lot of mm-hmm. the Dead Sea Scrolls, there's um, the War Scrolls, a really good example. But there's a lot of apocalyptic literature. There's a lot of literature that's heavily symbolic. You'd think, you know, kind of like Revelation. It's very heavily symbolic, um, in many cases hyperbolic. You know, it describes basically the end is coming, and the teacher of righteousness is going to come, and he's going to de- destroy the, the the wicked one and, and this sort of thing. So they were a different yeah. group. And there were others, right? There were the Zealots. Um, they were sometimes associated with the Pharisees. They were more politically rather than religiously motivated. Um, even the the zealots, there was kind of another separate offshoot there called the Sicarii. Um, they were known for carrying daggers in public, and they would kill Roman officials if they could. You know, Ooh. very very much uh, extremists, we would say, right? Yeah. Um, and that was sort of that same idea. It took the religious ideal of Israel as a as an independent entity and said. You know, let's take that into the political realm. Let's throw off the yoke of Rome and be free again. And of course, you know, we have the up, the uprisings that eventually lead to the destruction of the temple in the year 70. We have okay. the Bar Kokhba revolt, um, kind of the, the last stand of the Jewish people before Rome officially just put an end to all of it. And then just, mm. you know, basically tore everything down and exiled everyone. Yeah. Um, so that was what the 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 state of denominations, if you will, kind of looked like back then. And we even see the rise of new ones in the New Testament, where in the book of Acts, for example, it says that Paul was a ringleader of the sect of the Nazarenes, right? Not mm. necessarily that he was, but that they considered him to be, right? They say, hey, we, we've heard about you. You're a ringleader of this Nazarene sect. Um, so that's that's also led some scholars to, to classify a group of Jewish believers early in the the um, second century, late late first, early second century, that were known as the Nazarenes. So mm-hmm. Nazarene Judaism, as opposed to Pharisaic Judaism or Sadducean Judaism. Um, there was other offshoots, like the Ebionites were kind of a, a different one. They seemed to have some Essene influence. Um, but again, there's these different factions, these different sects that had developed within Judaism. Uh, denominations is really what it would be if it were today's time. Sure. And the early church was fairly well united. I mean, we have some issues, obviously, that arise in even in the New Testament letters. But for a little while, the early church was united, even Jew and Gentile alike, because they were both being equally persecuted. Mm-hmm. And that largely remained the same for a couple hundred years, although the, the Greco-Roman influence in the church grew. And then eventually you get to the fourth century, and we have, um, you know, we, we start to see the great councils. We have the um, declaration of Constantine, right? Um, yeah. The Council of Nicaea. So they begin to formulate what Christianity looks like as something that's no longer persecuted. Um, And then Mm -hmm. that's also, it coincides with the parting of the ways we call it, right? So Christianity and Judaism both started as 
really first century Judaism, right? Yeah. And they diverged and they grew opposite each other in different directions. So right. again, it's more of that splitting. It's more of that factionalism. Um, mm-hmm. To the extent that you had a prayer developed within the, the synagogue liturgy to essentially curse the, the known as the, the separatists or the heretics, right? It's the, wow. the Birkat Hamanim is basically it's, it's a blessing against those that are, are viewed as having left Judaism. Um, at the same time, you get to, again, you're in the, here in the 4th century, heading into the 5th century, you have these multiple successive councils, and you have these canons or decrees issued by the church, where they start to say, you're no longer allowed to keep the Sabbath, that's Judaizing, um, no one's allowed to be Jewish anymore, we are not like them, you have to do these things to show that you're not uh, related to, to, to the Jews, Right, so mm-hmm. it's this very harsh stance where they begin to openly uh, oppose each other and even develop doctrines simply to oppose the other, sure. and that continues for a long time. Um, we get just past uh, the 1000 AD mark, right? You get about halfway through the century, and we get to the Orthodox schism, right? That's where there's this disagreement over who gets to be the the head of this particular regional church. I'm oversimplifying it, but basically, <laughs> Orthodox Church and Catholic Church split. At that point. Yeah. Um, and they disagree over who has the proper authority going all the way back to the apostles. Uh, apostolic succession, it's known as, right? Like who succeeds after uh, an True. apostle. And that continues even today. They, they argue about that still today. Here we are almost a thousand years later, right? Um, and so once you have those two splits, you have other splits and schisms, other disagreements that arise, typically over doctrinal reasons, um, sometimes over political reasons. You have the... Uh, the Church of England that splits during the time of the Reformation before the Reformation officially starts, right? Um, the Church of England, which becomes the Anglican Church as we know it today. Then you have the Protestant Reformation, which kind of spawns a few different groups, and then not long thereafter branches out more and more. And then you get to the modern era where we hear, uh, or, or so we're told, that there are 30,000 denominations. I don't know if you've heard that number before. Um, But they say there's 30,000 denominations. It's a little bit misleading because it's not (laughs) that there actually are 30,000 denominations. What it really is is a representation of the number of different main denominations and their splits Mm -hmm. all the way down to groups of maybe just a couple churches that say, well, we really are SBC, right, Southern Baptist, but we do this thing. So then we split off and we start this thing. If we counted all of these different ones, you'd get a very high number. I don't know that it's 30,000. Uh, but you would get a very high number. And as believers today, you don't have to travel very far to see this sort of denominational mess, right? Sure. I mean, I can yeah. drive within a two-mile radius of my house, and we have an Assemblies of God church. We have two Methodist churches. We have yeah. two Baptist churches. We have, I think, like mm-hmm. two or three that are non-denominational. We have a Catholic church. Yeah. Um, we have a Wesley, I think a Korean Wesleyan church. So there's so wow. many different denominations, right? Sure. And again, most people, it's the same thing. You just drive through town. You're going to see all these different uh, denominational churches. So a lot of these are doctrinal reasons. Some of them end up being personal reasons. You know, there are churches that split off because of um, issues personally. Mm-hmm. Um, and this impacts us today, right? I remember, you know, growing up and, you know, my my family was, was Messianic, but the youth group that I went to, because I grew up in a very small town, so my youth group was non-denominational, right? It was yeah. a local non-denominational church. And really, they were Southern Baptist. 
That was, I mean, they were a, a slightly slightly more charismatic Southern Baptist, but the pastor there had been divorced. And so the okay. SBC, at least at the time, wouldn't let him remain. And so he was still a pastor. And so he was like, okay, well, then I'll just start a different church that's not under the SBC. So oh. they really were SBC, but he wasn't allowed to be member huh. of the clergy. So they sure. weren't officially SBC, right? Right. Um, <clears throat> and so there, most like of Henry my, my friends. Didn't Henry VIII? Very, yeah, yeah, it's, it's, yeah. So that, that, that's the, the, <laughs> the formation of the, well, the Anglican church predates that. Um, yeah. I'm actually a, a bit of a nerd for Anglican history. I don't even know why, Yeesh. but it's a, it's a fascinating story. Maybe we can get yes. to that. Um, but, but yeah, so, so like friends? I said, my, most yeah. of my, yeah, most of my friends were, you know, kind of, they, they fit right in, right? Southern Baptist, um, mm -hmm. you know, some of them a little more charismatic than others. But I remember there being conversations when I was, uh, you know, kind of a preteen listening to the older teens talk about, you know, well, Catholics might be saved, but Roman Catholics, they're definitely not saved. And mm -hmm. I had no idea there was a difference between Catholic and Roman Catholic, right? Sure. Um, but just that sort of thing. And then people, you know, yeah. hearing people talk, complain about Methodists, right? Mm -hmm. And that's why they had to start church service an hour early was because they had to beat the Methodists to the restaurants. Because uh -huh, um, uh -huh, their their uh -huh. services don't last long, you know all all right. these these sorts of things that that yes. you hear about, you know the Presbyterians and Baptists who spring from a, a common root, right? Um, right? But going back and forth at each other over whether or not you baptize a child when they're old enough mm -hmm. to confess the faith or right after they're born, sure, right? Um, and again, it's not to minimize the biblical reasons for these disagreements, but really what what I would like to see us get to. Um, mm -hmm. is a point of being able to understand the difference between what are issues that really are non-negotiable sure. and what are things that we should be able to be okay disagreeing about, right? Mm -hmm. So, uh, you know, in you know, some is it 1700s, I believe, um, I said 17th century, uh, John Wesley, right? Famous preacher, everybody, everybody knows um, yeah. John Wesley, right? Uh, he was he was big time evangelist, big time preacher. Not so much a scholar, not so much a theologian, um, but he's the father of Methodism, right? So he himself was an ordained member of the Anglican Church. Uh, he and his brother Charles, and Charles was a hymn, uh, hymnist, so he wrote a lot of hymns. In fact, if you go to some uh, more traditional churches that still have the hymnal or at least have a traditional service, chances are at least some of them are going to be written by Charles Wesley. Mm -hmm. Um. And so, so again, John Wesley went around. He was a preacher. He preached more sermons in just a few years than most pastors do in a lifetime of preaching Sundays, because he yeah. would do one after the other after the other, um, just riding around and 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 preaching. And so Wesley was very good friends with George Whitfield. Um, mm -hmm. George Whitfield was again another uh, evangelist. George Whitfield is is generally. Um, kind of recognized as being a little bit more academically inclined, a little bit more of a theologian. And for for those that may not be um, up yet very well on you know soteriological debates, debates about the, the mechanism of salvation, um, John Wesley represents the position of Arminianism, right? Yep. Which is anybody can be saved if they repent and believe, um, because God has provided a He's made provision for salvation. It, the, basically, the offer is there, and anybody yep. can can come in and say, "Yes, I accept this offer," and they can repent sure. and believe. 
George Whitfield represents the Calvinist position, which is God has already decided who will be saved from before the foundation of the world. He already knew ahead of time who would be saved, who would be condemned, and that's it. Like, yeah. you don't really have a choice in the matter. The only choosing you do is to choose to do what God has decided ahead of time you would do. So these are very contentious positions, and these debates continue daily. I still engage in yeah. them myself. Sure. Um, but despite these very strong differences, and now when you're both missionaries, you would think that's a very important issue, right? If you're a very good missionary friend with somebody else, and one of you has a, a core doctrinal position that says, hey, look, repent and believe, and it's, you know, you can reach out, you can accept the gift. And the other one says, repent and believe. And if it works, it's because, you know, God decided ahead of time it would be. I'm <laughs> oversimplifying and maybe yeah, 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 uh, yeah. Sure, sure, sure. not doing justice to the position. But again, the, the illustration being that it's a very core doctrinal position. But these two men yeah. maintained friendship despite both right. being so doctrinally different. They worked together, they ministered together, and they impacted the world um, and they reached a lot of people and they led a lot of people to the Lord. And although I'm not a huge fan of, of George Whitfield, as I would be, uh, I would say of John Wesley, um, no one can deny the impact that he had on his oh. generation and even generations that followed sure. in the work that he did. Sure. Um, now John Wesley actually preached Whitfield's funeral. Um, mm. so George died wow. before he did. And Wesley, because again, he was, you know, such good friends with him, came to preach his funeral. And that's where we get the famous quote at the, towards the end of, of basically his sermon, right, and, and eulogy. Um, he made note of how he and George had so vehemently disagreed over some serious things. But he reached to the very end and he said, so let us agree to disagree. Mm. And that phrase we hear all the time, right? Well, let's agree to disagree. Sure. You know, yeah. um, and so that's kind of what I would but like to bring it back it? to. You know, well, that's just we it. mean it, though? Because right. in our hearts, are we still angry at that person? Do we still feel like a division or a disunity where we don't like them at the end of the day? Or would we feel so loved by them and vice versa that they would want us to preach their eulogy at their funeral? Exactly. Yeah. I mean, I, I think that that's, that's just the one of the major issues is we can say that we're okay with disagreeing. But in this day and age, you know, a, a disagreement mm -hmm. is often taken as a personal attack. Yeah, like, I'm going right? to defriend you on Facebook. You disagreed with me. It's like, whoa! <laughs> Unfollow, you know. Um, right? But, yeah, I mean, really, real. that's that's the response yeah. that, yeah, that's the response that people have. And so that's that's yeah. really what we need to be better at doing is recognizing things that are primary issues, things that really do make a difference, are, are sort of our, our core doctrines. Those do make yeah. a difference. Right. When we talk about, could I visit this friend's church yes. or that friend's church? You know, I could visit a Methodist friend's church. I can visit a Baptist friend's church. Um, I could probably visit a Presbyterian church. I'd have to get over a couple of things. Um, <laughs> but uh, but the, the point being that, you know, I, I can go and I can visit their churches. Sure. Um, the same yes. could not be said for certain other denominations. Um, yeah, Unitarian it, Universalist or it, you know, exactly, exactly. It, it, denominations that don't believe in Jesus being the only way for salvation, right? Ex exactly. Yeah, that's yeah. that was my point. Was you know, once you remove the identity of who the Messiah is, then we have a problem, right? Yes. Um, yeah. So that's that's one of the most. And I'm not saying that's the only core doctrine. As long as they believe that Jesus is God, then we're good. You know, and I'm not saying it's the only one. Um, but I'm saying that we need to be better at recognizing what things are okay to disagree on. Um, mm -hmm. And so I have, I have one, I think, example that, that works well to illustrate that point, and we can, 
we can kind of wrap up on that is, mm-hmm. you know, the, the age of the earth is a hot button issue, right? Everybody wants to disagree whether it's young earth or old earth or evolutionary creationism, you know, theistic evolution. You know, I can name scholars, Bible scholars that love the Lord completely. And you can tell from their work and from their lives that fall on all three positions. And I know people personally that are that fit that category as well that fall into all three positions. Sure. Um, and so uh, you know, I have a very good friend of mine that is very, very strongly young earth creationist. And I have another good friend of mine that's very strongly old earth creationist. And they have some very heated disagreements over that matter at the time, uh, mm-hmm. from time to time. But I think the the thing that we always come back to, and I've I've observed them do it, and I find it very respectable, is that they can agree that God is the cause of all that is, right? So in this example, whether it's young earth, which is God made everything out of nothing in six days, literally, or old earth, which is over a indeterminate length of time, could be hundreds of thousands or even millions of years or whatever, God made everything, he just did it in a longer period of time. They don't disagree that God made everything. They don't disagree that he is the first cause. They don't disagree that God is infinite and eternal. Mm -hmm. Um, It doesn't impact any doctrines that succeed from that. Um, It it ultimately becomes, there's a a different hermeneutic that's employed, right? There's a different way of how literal versus literate do we take certain passages. Um, But at the end of the day, we can get to a point where we can say, you know what, I'm okay with agreeing to disagree on this issue. I can even very strongly disagree because of study that I've done that somebody else hasn't done or study they've done that I haven't. But at the end of the day, I'm not going to tell someone, you know what? I, I don't think you, you can be a brother or sister to me. You know what? I don't, I don't think you're saved because you have a different, you know, position on how old this floating rock actually is. Um, so that's, that's, that's my illustration. This is huge. I mean, this is a big issue within I see this within teenagers and eat adults because we're the ones who are leading the way and there's almost this culture that's been created of um you can't disagree with me and if you do you are a threat to me and to my ideas and to my way of living my life and identity yeah and this this uh idea has been kind of has made its way within, you know, a, a, the, the lives of adults and it's leaked its way down into teenagers where I, I see this very prevalent, um, you know, where kids are kind of creating, like, I need my safe space. Like th- this was not a thing when I was a teenager, we didn't have a safe space. You know what I mean? Like, but it's almost like you're a threat again, against my beliefs, against where I find my identity and my beliefs. And there's no longer this freedom to disagree. And it's healthy to disagree. It's healthy to have different ideas. You know, there are some people who I will not get in discussion with certain issues about on my social media, because I know that their fangs are coming out and that they're, they're going to be mad. They're going to be angry. And how dare I even consider a different position? And again, it's, it's toxic. It's polarizing. And, um, we as adults, uh, we have to do a better job of having these conversations because the little ones, the young ones are watching us and they're learning how to, to disagree and we're not doing it the best. Right. And so, um, yeah, yeah this has been a really uh, insightful and encouraging episode for our listeners. As you consider your beliefs, 
Do you hang your hat so heavily upon them that you dismiss other people and um, have a self-righteous attitude uh, where you don't allow any room for disagreement and you feel threatened by the beliefs of other people? Or do you welcome healthy disagreement and conversation because that actually helps uh, us grow? And this is actually very common within Judaism is, um, in, in fact, they would get upset uh, if you didn't disagree with them. I remember Louis Tverberg talking about that, you know, and it's, it was common in Jewish debate to do that, to debate, to disagree. And if you didn't ask questions and disagree, they would be upset with you. And so, you know, friends, let's, let's get back to that healthy. Yeah. Go ahead, Jonathan. I would say to the, the, the Jewish idea there is only the foolish person agrees with everything they hear. Mm. Right, the, the mark of intellect is saying, well, now, hang on, I don't think that's right, and, and arguing. That's why, you know, you read Jewish literature like the Talmud, you know, the, the, the joke is two Jews, three opinions, right? So you, yeah. you read Jewish literature, and that's what it is. That's really what the Talmud is, right? I've got 22 volumes of it, all these right here, right? It's, it's just, this rabbi said this, but this one said this, but this one said this. Uh-huh. It's just, uh-huh. it's, a, it's, a, it's a book of opinions, not to trivialize it, but yeah. a lot of it is dissenting opinions. Here's what the majority said, but here was a different opinion. The Tosefta is even more of that. It's, yeah, the, the mm-hmm. ability to disagree and disagree well. We can all disagree, yes. but we have to be able to disagree well and do it respectfully in order to emulate yeah. our Messiah. But I think this is where it's different, the Jewish mind versus the Western mind. In the Western mind, we have to, you have to agree with my theology because if you don't, then it kind of throws my whole theological framework off base. And in the, the Jewish mind, they're like, oh, you don't, dis- you don't agree with me. You have different ideas and thoughts and opinions and feelings about it. Well, that's okay because there's different thoughts and feelings and opinions about it. And this is how we learn and this is how we grow, you know. And, of course, there was some issue um, – Amongst that, sure, some people still felt threatened, but for the most part, that is the Jewish mindset: is that it's good to disagree. It's it's healthy to disagree. It doesn't have to fit into any sort of theological framework in order uh, for me to feel okay and move on with my life. Right. So, um, so friends, uh, again, thanks for joining us for this episode. Uh, definitely, I would love to have you keep coming back to learn more and more. Uh, and uh, listen to this one again because you're going to need to because Jonathan threw a lot of great stuff out for you today and um, hopefully you'll walk away better because of it. So friends, thanks for joining us for this episode and we'll catch you next time. Bye. Bye.